Now, Father, as we come as individuals before you, thank you that we can do that. Thank you that we don't have to go through any human uh, person on earth. But thank you that we have the man, Christ Jesus, who is seated at the right hand of God the Father as our advocate when we fail. And thank you that he also prays for us. Thank you that he has compassion upon us. And thank you that he is able to render aid and power to uh, us when we are tempted. And thank you that he gives us victory, his victory that he won on the cross and through his resurrection and uh, that we can share in that victory. And so, Lord, we want to pray for people who are hurting today, pray for people who are sick, pray for people who are grieving, pray for people who are discouraged, pray for people who are struggling in areas of life, in their marriage, in their finances, struggling in their walk with you, struggling in other relationships. I pray you would help them today and pray that you would give them hope, the hope that comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, that you would forgive us for the things that have been wrong in 2023. I pray that you would cleanse us and prepare us to see those things corrected in 2024. I pray, Father, that whatever the failures may have been in the past, we would put those things behind us. And pray, Lord, we would even put our successes behind us and we would press on in this next year to the mark of the high calling of Jesus Christ as the Apostle Paul told us and taught us and I pray Father that we would think about our hope is not in the turn of a calendar but our hope is actually in the Son of God the Lord Jesus Christ so as the hymn says my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus blood and righteousness I dare not trust the sweetest frame but wholly lean on Jesus name may we stand on Christ and may we stand victoriously and for your glory this next year. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's turn in our Bibles this morning to uh, uh, the book of Isaiah. And uh, in Isaiah, the, cha- the chapter we're going to look at is 55. going to look at the whole thing. So we'll make a point and then read Scripture. Make a point and read Scripture. Because this is my prayer for 2024. And I'm not going to make a whole lot of comment about each point and each verse. I think it's uh, self-explanatory. But Isaiah chapter 55. Now, what drew me to this is I've heard Isaiah quoted more over the last two or three years than I have in my entire life. In chapter 5, verse 20, uh, this is all over social media and people make reference to this. It it says, uh, this is not our text, just making reference. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. And that seems to describe pretty much our nation and the culture in which we live. And I think the reason it's quoted so much is because it is absolutely true. So uh, Isaiah, this prophet to, who lived in, uh, around Jerusalem, who was a prophet to the southern kingdom of Judah, but lived during the time when the northern kingdom of Israel was carried off into captivity, who wrote all of these things about 700 or so years before the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, had some powerful things to say. He's quoted 
uh, some 60-odd times in the New Testament, mentioned by name more than any other prophet. Uh, quite, a, quite a book. You ought to read it. And of course, in Isaiah chapter 53, he makes a prophecy about the uh, Son of God, the suffering servant, as he calls him, who would come and be the substitute to, uh, for our sins so that we could be right with God. And so uh, when we think about Isaiah... We have the idea that he must have been from a well-to-do family and a well-connected family because he seemed to have a lot of access to the kings of Judah. And uh, Isaiah lived during the time of seeing Judah decline. In fact, one king that he lived under actually put idols in the temple itself. Other kings would come along and they would reform everything and there would be kind of an uptick, a wave of righteousness that would come remember that northern kingdom all of their kings were wicked and evil but the southern kingdom of judah had some good and some bad isaiah saw all of that and after he writes about the predictive things about the exile uh, because of their sin and the return even names the name of the king that was going to allow them to return calling him cyrus the persian king and uh, that indeed happened. And then he gets to 53 and he talks about the Lord sending Jesus Christ to pay for our sins, to be our victory, to bring us peace with God. Then everything after chapter 53 kind of shows us the results of Jesus and the results of his sacrifice. And that's what we're looking at today. But I want to put this uh, in the context, of course, in which it is written but I also want to uh, make the application in each one of these points for us. How can we pray for ourselves and for our church and for people that we love in 2024? Okay, I'm going to read out of the English Standard Version. It's not a whole lot different than the other versions, but a little easier to understand for Old Testament passages. And uh, my prayer would be, number one, okay, you ready? That we would embrace the willingness and generosity of God. I want you to look at verse 1. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, in other words, you're bankrupt, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk, that signifies abundance and blessing. And he says, come and buy it without money and without price. Well, that's a funny way of putting it. How do you buy something without money? And the obvious answer is, is because it's actually free. He's speaking here of grace, the gift of grace, the gift of salvation. All of it comes freely because of the sacrifice of Christ. Referring back again, all of these do, to Isaiah chapter 53. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. We don't have to perform for it. We don't have to pay for it. It has all been paid for us. And notice that in verse 1, God does not do it reluctantly. He doesn't say, well, if I have to, or well, okay, I guess you got me, and I, I have to fulfill my word. Notice here, this is an enthusiastic invitation. Come, everyone who is thirsty. And every time I read that, it's also quoted in the last chapter of the book of Revelation at the very end of Scripture uh, that is made reference to being thirsty and coming and drinking freely from the Lord. 
And I always think of my father-in-law whenever I read those verses with him preaching one time and he said, come everyone who is thirsty. And somebody looks and says, I'm not thirsty. And Jesus says, then I'm not talking to you. Isn't that right? So I'm going to ask you a question. Do you hunger? And do you thirst for righteousness sake? Because Jesus promised in the Beatitudes, you shall be filled. Now, if you're not hungry and you're not thirsty, you're never going to be filled. Nothing will ever satisfy you. The Word of God won't delight you. There'll never be a sermon that will really fill your soul unless it tickles your ears. There'll never be anything that will delight you. And uh, this is for the thirsty. So my prayer is that we would see that God is not reluctant. He's not stingy. He is not saying, well, if you qualify, I'll give it to you. He is willing and he is generous in all of this to give to anyone. And that would include you if indeed you are thirsty and if you are hungry for the things of God. And he will give it in abundance. Number two, my prayer would be that we would acknowledge and forsake foolishness. Look at verse 2. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? You know, the book of Proverbs talked about the bread of deceit. And this is the kind of bread that promises it'll fill you up. Oh, it's going to be so good. It may be at a casino. And you're going to be rich, right? What happens? Those casinos, have you noticed they get bigger and bigger and bigger? And they don't do that by giving away money, right? So what happens? People have to lose in order to do that. And the Lord says, why are you spending money for that which is not bread? Think about the promise. If I can just drink enough, there's a lot of emphasis on alcohol and drugs today. If I can get the right substances in my body, then I'll really be free and I'll really be happy. And just the opposite is true. Think about people that go to churches that teach false doctrine with the promise of heaven, with the promise of freedom, only to find out they're in more and more bondage. That's the bread of deceit. Why do you spend your money on that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me and hear that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant. Can you imagine God making a covenant with you? And he goes on to describe it out of my pure love for David. And behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a uh, tender and, com uh, and a commander, a leader and a commander for the peoples. Think about that. Now, think about how God loved David, this man after God's own heart. Think about the covenant that God made with David, that king. And think about how he has promised now he will make a covenant with you. He'll relate to you the way that he did to David. He'll love you the way that he did David. And he will... Uh, change your life 
But here's the thing. We spend so much of our time, so much of our effort, so much of our abilities on things that can never satisfy, things that don't glorify God, things that don't feed the soul, things that give great promise, but they never can deliver. And God says, I'm going to give you great promises, and I am also going to deliver in all of this, just like I did even with the king, the great king David. That's the way he wants to relate to you and relate to me. Number three, my prayer is that our devotion then would lead to gospel influence. And we don't want to just live for God just so that we can be better than everybody else. That's not the issue because we're not and we never will be. And it's not that we want to strut around at how holy we are and all of the things we don't do that all of the sinners do, right? What we want to do is to live a life that honors and glorifies God in our homes, in our parenting, in our workplace, in our relationships, in our neighborhood, everything so that others, well, think of it what Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that others may see your good works and then glorify your Father which is in heaven. The glory doesn't come to us, it always goes to Him. And we can identify with sinners because we are one. And we can identify with their despair and with their hopelessness because that's where the Lord found us, dead in our trespasses and our sins. God did not save us, as you know, because we were better or because we had talent or because we had more aptitude towards spiritual things. We were just as dead as the worst sinner that you would ever find. And it was the blood of Jesus that cleansed us and redeemed us from this. And so we want our lives to be the kind of life that, are, that is an attractive life, an influential life for the sake of the gospel. I want you to look at verse 5. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know and a nation that did not know you. In other words, relationships are going to be formed between Jew and Gentile, other empires along with the nation of Israel. Well, that's the way it's supposed to be with us. We are supposed to be in relationship with lost people. How are we going to tell them? How are they going to hear the gospel if we're never around them? How are they going to understand the truth that they don't see it in us? And this is what uh, Isaiah is saying about Israel. And he says, and um, you shall run, uh, or they shall, nations you did not know shall run to you uh, because of the Lord your God. That's the reason. God's work in Israel and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Now seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. I like that last phrase, abundantly pardon. And so the Lord makes a call here. I want to use you, Israel, so that the other nations will go to you and you can relate to them for the glory of the Lord. And that's why I put you in a place of prominence. Now, it's a strange thing to say to a nation that's getting ready to go into exile, to a nation that's getting ready to be conquered because of their sin. And yet the call is always there. 
The call is to repent and to return to the Lord because in the Lord there is always hope for the people of God. And even to this sinful nation that's going to be carried away into Babylon for 70 years by Nebuchadnezzar, God says there's still hope. I will restore you and I will abundantly pardon you if you will forsake your wicked ways. And we forget that sometimes. We are to be a light to the world. Israel and Judah failed to be a light to the world. They acted like the Canaanites all around them. They acted like the Gentiles. They acted like it's the world that's having all the fun, much like a lot of people who call themselves Christians will do tonight. And so they'll imitate the world, they'll destroy their lives, and they'll say things they didn't mean to say, but alcohol loosened their tongues. They may be involved in an automobile accident because they were driving under the influence. There may be immorality that is committed because their guard was let down by all of that. All of those things they do in the name of, quote-unquote, freedom in Christ and yet they do foolish things. The Bible is calling here for us to live a life of holiness and godliness that will glorify the Lord because that is from Him and His strength, His power working through us, and we've got to forsake those other things. Now, I know you're not going to do it all at once, neither will I, but we've got to start heading in that direction. It's not perfection because you and I can never attain that, but we can change our direction. And notice here again the willingness of God, for He will abundantly pardon. Not reluctantly, but abundantly pardon. Here's the next part of my prayer, number four, that we would rejoice in the difference. What difference? The difference between God and humanity. How does humanity repay you when you sin against them? Oh, they may press charges, depending on what it is. Or they may beat you up. Or they may never speak to you again. Or you may lose all of your influence and they never trust you again, right? We could go on and on and on and on with that. They may get revenge upon you. That's the way humanity is. But you'll notice here, we're going to see that God is not like us. Boy, how much do we need to be like Him? Well, think about this, verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Well, praise God for that. I would hate to think that God would think about me the way I think about life and about people and about situations and all of that. Neither are your ways my ways. God forgives. God pardons. God casts our sin as far as the east is from the west. You can't do that, but God does good thing that his ways are not our ways declares the lord now listen to this for as the heavens are higher than the earth so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there uh, do not return there excuse me but they water the earth making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. That's planting and that's a harvest. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void or empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed and shall succeed. Did you get that? 
shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God never fails. His word never fails. It never returns void. It is never anything that just falls on deaf ears and hits the ground and accomplishes nothing. The word of God will either bless you and save you or it will judge you and it will condemn you depending upon what you do with the word of God, whether you believe it or not. This is the truth of the word of God. And God is different than us and the only way we know him is through his word. So read his word, study his word, try to understand his word because in so doing you're going to understand the God whose ways are past finding out. You're going to understand the God whose thoughts are different than our thoughts and in so doing you become more like him. And what problem do you have in your life or in your relationships that would not be solved if you just would be more godly? Understand that we're looking everywhere we can except to the Word of God, every place but the Word of God, in order to fix our lives. And what happens? It's that bread of deceit that we talked about earlier. Oh, it promises. This is going to make you rich. This is going to make you famous. This is going to make you successful. This is going to make your marriage great. This is going to improve everything about your life. Well, how many self-help books have been written? You know why they write so many of them? Because ultimately they don't help. So we need another one. Oh, this is another idea. This is a better idea. This is what the new generation thinks. All we need to do is go back to the ancient word of God and find what out what it says. Let it conform us to the image of Christ and then live a godly life. And a lot of those things would be taken care of. And the word of God is always true and it is powerful. It is alive, the Bible says, and it is given by the inspiration of God. And it is truth, Jesus said. And then lastly, my prayer is that we would anticipate the promises. You know, we look ahead and we go, oh, this year might be worse than the last one. Well, it might be better. Am I right? You could look at things and you say, well, there'll be mountains and valleys. Where there were last year, and there were the year before that, and there were the year before that. I'm 63, almost 64 years old now. I've had mountains and valleys every year of my life. And turning the calendar page didn't change anything except what I wrote on my checks. Usually wrong for a while. Right? The problems I have in 2023 and the sin problems I have in 2023 are not going to be magically erased at midnight tonight. They're going to carry over. And I've got to understand that the promises of God that were true 700 years before Christ came are still true today. And that's what I need to focus on and that's what I need to think about. God, His power, His grace his sovereignty, and going back to point number one, his willingness, not his reluctance. Martin Luther said in prayer, we are laying hold of God's willingness, not overcoming his reluctance. Not very many people believe that. They act as though God really doesn't want to bless, really doesn't want to help, really doesn't want to save, really doesn't want to deliver, but we trick him into it or we force him into it by his own words. That's not the case. And the Bible goes on to tell us here in uh, verse 12, <coughs> speaking to Israel, but we can make some application. 
For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall the... Uh, shall come up, excuse me, shall come up the, uh, the cypress, something useful in other words, and instead of the briar, something useless, shall come up the myrtle, something useful, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Now, I want you to think about what he is saying there to people that live in a desert, things are going to grow. Things that are useful and productive are going to grow. That's, that's an accomplishment. And then he's also saying that to people that are getting ready to go off into, into captivity. Now I want you to think about that. When you go off into captivity, usually that is not without any, that it has no hope, it has no promise, there's no joy. And God is saying to Israel, in spite of your sin, I will not forget my promise, I will not forget my covenant unto you. And I promise you there's a day in your life where you're going to see the mountains and the trees singing and clapping and joy, in other words, is going to be everywhere. This life that they are having now of sin, of despair, of chastisement, of judgment, of captivity, of defeat in war, of a destroyed temple, of the brightest and best of them taken off to captivity, and most of them probably never to come back to Jerusalem again. God says to them, don't lose hope. See, that's the context of Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for uh, good and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. And he was saying that as they were being conquered, as they were being taken away. And God is saying to you and to me today, you may be under chastisement today, you may be reaping what you have sown, but don't lose hope because there is a promise. God always keeps his word and he keeps his promises. And regardless of what the enemy says and regardless of the way you may feel, you may hope that this is your last New Year's. You may be sitting here today hoping that you would die this next year. And some may even be planning their own death. And I want to say to you, don't do that because there's hope in the Lord. There's promise in the Lord. There's a future in the Lord. And even though the world may be burning around you, you can have joy and you can have the blessing of God. Is it always material blessing? Not always, but it's included in that. The Lord will take care of His people. Is it always everything going your way in the fulfillment of all of your dreams? That's a big deal. No, the Lord may change your dreams, but I promise you He'll always change it in a positive direction. And once you go through the valley, you'll find yourself on the mountaintop, and then you'll find that joy is flooding your life. It's just a matter of enduring it, walking with God through it, and uh, then seeing the outcome of victory when that time comes. And of course, this certainly could point to the coming kingdom of God when Christ returns 
to rule and reign on earth and all the changes he's going to make that Isaiah talks about. And for the believer, it could also remind us that this world is not our home. The trials of this life are someday, they're going to be over, they're going to be done. And think about what it's going to be like to be free, not only from the penalty of sin, but to be free from the power of sin, and even to be free from the very presence of sin and to live that way forever. God keeps his promises. And so Israel and Judah are in a mess, and Isaiah is giving them hope just as he is giving us hope, the character of God. Think about all of this kind of stuff that we find, and that we find that God is willing to do this, and he does it by grace without price. Saw that in verse 1. We see that he does it because that's just who he is because his ways are not our ways in verse 8. We see that it's based upon truth because scripture does not lie, because God cannot lie, and his word will not return empty in verse 11. And all of this is because of chapter 53. The suffering servant paid the price so that we could enjoy the blessings of God instead of the curse of God. Bodhi Bauckham said, We are seeing terrible things in our culture, not because we vote the wrong way. We are seeing terrible things in our culture because men love darkness rather than light. And that's why they vote the way that they do. That's why they think the way that they do. And that's why the only answer to darkness is what? Light. And who is the light of the world? Well, that's what we sang about and celebrated when we had our candlelight Lord's Supper. That's what we talked about when we had our Christmas Eve service. I hope you enjoyed that and the candlelight service that we had. The light of the world is Jesus. And His light shines in you, believer. And now your life is to shine in a darkened world. And that's what we are actually praying for. I guess that would be a good summation of everything we've talked about this morning. Oh Lord, don't let us fall under the chastisement of foolishness and sin. Don't let us believe the lies of the enemy that God doesn't care about us and that God, how dare you go to God? You ever felt like that? And yet God says, come if you're thirsty. He's willing and he forgives freely to all of us. And this wonderful promise that comes about at the end. And so uh, I think about the generosity of God and think about uh, how we need to forsake our foolishness. I think about how our devotion in our life needs to lead to gospel, gospel faithfulness and how we need to rejoice in the fact that God is different than us. He's gracious, kind, and merciful. And we also need to anticipate all of the promises. Do you understand what your life holds and what the future holds for you if you will repent and start following the Lord? Did I say it'd be easy? Not initially. You're going to fight a battle against your flesh, against the world, and the demons of hell are going to come against you. They don't want you to repent. They don't want you to be blessed. But God says, come, all you who are thirsty, and I will give you what you don't have the money to buy. It's a picture of salvation. It's a picture of His grace. But even though grace is free, 
Let's go back to Isaiah 53. It's not cheap. It costs the Son of God everything to bear the wrath that you deserved on the cross of Calvary. Oh, what a great love. Will you sing this with me? Oh, how he loves you and me. Oh, how he loves you and me. He gave his life. What more could he give? Did you get that? Oh, how he loves you. Oh, how he loves me. Oh, how he loves you and me. You may be at the bottom this morning. You know what you'll find? You never fall to the depths of his love. Because he always loves you and there's always more. And why does he work in your life according to the things that we're praying about this morning? Out of his great love. How do we know God loves us? And herein is the love of God, John says. Not that we loved him, but that he loved us. And he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Think about that. For God so loved the world, that would include you, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But God has promised to give you even an abundant life. Jesus said, the thief comes but to kill, steal, and destroy. And if you keep going down the path of rebellion, disobedience, stubbornness, stiff-necked, being stiff-necked and, and uh, uh, going that way, believing lies, what happens? The thief comes but to kill, steal, and destroy. Boy, if that were the end of it, we would all be in trouble. But I have come that you might have life and have it more, what? Abundantly. And that's what this prayer out of Isaiah chapter 55 is all about. Because of what Christ has done, because of the sacrifice of the Savior, we can have and live in abundant life. But we've got to come to Him. So I'd like to ask you to do something as we end this service today. I'm going to ask if you agree with those five points of prayer this morning, would you just come and stand or kneel in the altar and let's close praying that unto the Lord this morning for ourselves, for our family, for our spouse, for our children, and certainly for our church and for our nation. It's what we need so much. Would you just join me if you agree with that?